America proudly welcomes millions of lawful immigrants who enrich our society and contribute to our nation. But all Americans are hurt by uncontrolled illegal migration. In a seven-minute address from the Oval Office last night, that was President Donald Trump defending his use of a government shutdown as a means to get funding for the border wall he has promised since the campaign. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. You know, presidents usually use the Oval Office to address really grave matters of nonpartisan interest. Think about decisions to go to war or national emergencies. But here, Trump was selling a particularly partisan idea, as though he were staging a television show. That's important imagery, according to Bill Scher, who's a contributing editor to Political Magazine and co-host of the Blogging Heads TV show. These are terms Trump understands, television appeal and ratings. And in a recent column, Scher says Trump needs to see that his border wall show is losing viewers and maybe should be canceled. Bill Scher, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be here. Yeah. So let's start with your reaction to the speech uh, yesterday, uh, seven minutes from the president about why he will keep the government shut down until he says he gets money for his border wall. Was this effective television, I guess, is my first question. I doubt it. I mean, that we haven't seen uh, numbers, not just ratings, but poll numbers that follow. But this seems like, uh, to, to bolster the point I was trying to make in the, in the political piece, the shutdown story is boring TV. It's the same story every day. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I mean, I, I'm not arguing that we should think of politics this way, but in terms of Trump's mindset, there's no narrative arc. There's no excitement. There's just the, the boring grind of Congress not agreeing. And to have Trump seize the airwaves for seven minutes just to repeat stale talking points, that's not a game changer. That's not an exciting plot twist. That's not going to make people rethink what they thought about the shutdown. So I, I think whatever happens next, it's not going to be anything that changes Trump's political standing. So, so you write in your recent column that President Trump understands he needs better ratings on this border wall, and that's why he forced his way onto primetime television. Uh, it, it, talk about how this is the way that this president, given his history, is prone to sort of approaching the job, this idea of uh, popularity in a very crude sense uh, in terms of, of television ratings. Well, if this was a normal politician, if this was a normal political situation, uh, we've had shutdowns in the past. Typically, the instigators believe they're on the right side with the public, and if they, if they just could escalate the issue, they'd rally the public to their side. When Newt Gingrich did this against Bill Clinton in the mid-'90s, he found out after a couple of weeks, you know what, people think shutting down the government is a really childish way to advance your cause. And he eventually capitulated to Bill Clinton. When Ted Cruz thought, oh, the public wants to defund Obamacare just like me, I'll shut down the government and people will agree with me, he found out the hard way, too, that it doesn't work like that. So normal politicians see the signs in public opinion and change course. Trump is not like those politicians. He disregards polls that don't favor him. He says he calls them fake news. 
He thinks his base will save him wherever he goes. If, if there's negative news stories about people losing their paychecks, he doesn't have much of a sensitivity to that. He, he just claims that they're on his side anyway. Uh, the only thing that might change his mind is to recognize that his own base is not all that excited. So when you look at not just the ratings at large, but the Fox News ratings, the Fox News ratings are down from their national average. So he's not even rallying his own base in a way that would give him that kind of satisfaction. Uh, I'm not arguing that's going to be enough to make him change course, but if there was anything that was going to, it would be, wait a second, the TV show that I'm putting on the air isn't even impressing my own fans. That could make him think twice. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Bill Sher. He's a contributing editor to Political Magazine and co-host of the BloggingHeads.tv show. Uh, he recently wrote a column for Political titled, Trump's best shutdown move is to fold. Uh, it takes a look at the, the president's approach to issues like this and the way in which he sees these issues through the lens of television and television ratings. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call and tell us what you thought of the president's speech uh, last night uh, from the Oval Office, the seven minutes he spent trying to convince you that uh, we need the border wall and to convince us that he's right to keep the government shut down until he gets that wall. Uh, did you think the president made his case pretty strongly last night? Were you persuaded by the things he said? Or were you not moved uh, by by his uh, his performance? Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter, you can hashtag us at Detroit Today, and we'll uh, try to work you into the conversation. Karen on Facebook says, I changed the channel. Uh, Ed on Twitter says, did he say anything new? No, a humanitarian issue, sure, of his making in the tent cities. Uh, we've got some folks queuing up already on the phones also to talk about this. Uh, before we get to those calls, though, Bill, I, I, I want to um, I want to talk a little more about something else you wrote about in your column, the, this ratings uh, news about MSNBC and Fox News. How important is that to the strategy of this president and this White House? I mean, to call it a strategy might be excessively charitable, <laughs> but I think that uh, you know, Trump has a base-only approach to governance. It, it, typically, if a president wins the presidency, with less, with, with, without the popular vote, uh, which is not unprecedented. Um, you know, George W. Bush didn't have the popular vote. Bill Clinton didn't have the popular vote, though he had a plurality. Uh, but both those folks, they did things to try to win, to broaden their support over their first term so they would do better in the next election and not cut things too close. Trump has gone in the opposite direction, basically, and he's, I think he said very recently, you know, my, my base is the best base. You know, they, they show up, they come out in big numbers. They, I don't think he said this uh, astutely, but in 2016, they, they came out where he needed them to come out. And if he did it once, you could theoretically do it again. So it's, it's not the most ludicrous thing, but it's dicey. Uh, and uh, to uh, in, in this case, you know, the wall has always seemingly been the thing that gins up his base the most. He even said during the, the campaigns, the New York Times, 
whenever I feel like my the, my crowd is getting bored and they're thinking about leaving, I say, we will build the wall, and they go nuts. Uh, and so you can see why he would think this would work for him again. The problem is the day-to-day of a shutdown is not the excitement of watching a wall get built. It's the boredom of watching Congress gridlock on top of people being inconvenienced and not outright suffering from a loss, loss of pay. Uh, so it, it hasn't proven to be a, the kind of base motivator that he, that he generally tries to achieve. And he can't even get you, and he, even the motivator your base in of itself is not necessarily the wise thing to do, but in terms of what Trump thinks is the right thing to do, he's not even hitting that mark right now. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Brad on Twitter says, last night's address was the presidential version of descending an escalator. Nothing more than a cheap political stunt in preparation for 2020. Shame on the networks for acquiescing to this. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Let's start with uh, Diane in Troy. What's on your mind, Diane? Well, I I didn't I can't stand the man and I just thought I'd give it a couple minutes but I couldn't even watch a couple minutes because he can't even read. He's the president of the United he can't read off of a card. He can't give a coherent speech when he doesn't have something written in front of him. But then he can't give a speech when he has to read. It's embarrassing. Uh, so Diane, uh, I guess a question I have for you is he stammers and he can't, he reads the words wrong then he has to read it again. You know, it's it's embarrassing to so, listen to. So, so I guess my question for you is about expectations. Uh, when, when you turn on the TV and see a president speaking from the Oval Office, uh, what is it that, that what is it that you're that, that you're expecting that that Donald Trump didn't sort of measure up to last night? I mean, was it was it just the way he speaks, or was there something about the content of this speech that that left you wanting more as well? Yes, I want a president. I think of the eloquence of Barack Obama, the eloquence. He always had dignity and eloquence when he spoke and when he read a, a written word. And I, I don't even get a fraction of a percentage of that with this guy. Hmm. And I, it's embarrassing that he's in his office as he is. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, Diane, I appreciate the call. In the comments, uh, Bill Sher, I, I want to talk a little about television and Donald Trump uh, and and go back to before he was president of the United States. Uh, there's a really interesting article in The New Yorker recently about uh, how The Apprentice, the show that made Donald Trump more of a household name than he was before, uh, resurrected the president and sort of put him forward as this this credible character, this this reasoned decision maker, this business leader. Uh, if you compare, I guess the, the the performances that we saw on that show to the things that we've seen since he began his presidential campaign and in his first two years in office, there's a real. I feel like there's a real distinction there. Uh, and I think Diane is is getting at some of this. This is not somebody who's terribly good on television in this role, whereas on The Apprentice, uh, he was a far more convincing character. Well, Trump's not an actor. You know, Ronald Reagan was an actor, which people sort of scoffed at uh, at the time in some some quarters. But that guy could read off a teleprompter. I mean, when he did an Oval Office address, you know, it was, it was you know, borderline magical. 
that's not Trump's performative skill set. Uh, the Apprentice was helpful to him because it reestablished him as a successful businessman who, who knew how to create jobs and, uh, and make money for himself. So that was helpful as far as his image was concerned as a, as, as a man of success. But I think the primary um, connection he has with his base is that he fights. He fights the culture war. He fights secular liberals. He fights uh, pointy-headed, egg-headed elites. Uh, they don't seem, his base does not seem to care so much about policy successes. They don't seem to care whether he actually, whether he really even builds the wall. I mean, the, the, the joy is in the daily fight and making liberal heads explode. And the problem with the shutdown is that it's not very, it's not very exciting. It's not much of an exciting fight to watch. Uh, over the course of the presidency, he shifts fights. He keeps things fresh. He says something new and crazy on different subjects so the show doesn't get stale. And the shutdown show gets stale very quickly because it's the same old, same old uh, over time. Uh, that's why going into making an Oval Office address, which is a very staid uh, setting, reading off the cue card, you're not you know, throwing a roundhouse punch at somebody and making uh, Twitter and Facebook explode in outrage. Uh, that's not the way to get his own base excited. Uh, he, his base stays excited when, they, when he changes the subject a lot, finds fresh targets to attack, and the shutdown story doesn't allow him to do that very hmm. Hmm. Uh, Again, uh, thanks very much for the call and the comments, Diane. Let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, what's on your mind? Hi. Hey, um, let me put it straight. I believe that we should just simply vote the... Um, the wall in because look, it's far cheaper than the barrier that was proposed by the Democrats years earlier when Obama and Clinton were both uh, senators. And so, what they proposed at the time was something on the order of between twenty-five billion and fifty billion. That was for a barrier of some sort. Okay, now with Trump, he's asking uh, for five billion with regards to, uh, to a wall with some input uh, from uh, Border Patrol. Okay, so let's end the misery and, and the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is the Democrats wanted fifty billion or, or maybe twenty five billion for a barrier. And uh, he's asking five billion and the misery ending the misery is get it over with build the wall for five billion, which is a deep discount compared to the previous one back you know, years back. And this way people can get their paychecks and, and people can decide on proper budgets and uh, life goes on. That's my point. Yeah, well, um, uh, you know, PolitiFact rated that uh, that claim about Democrats as half true uh, about them supporting the wall. So I, I guess you get you get some points there, Charlie, for for bringing that up. That's an interesting strategy, though, to to sort of say, well, the wall is an inevit- inevitability, and it ends the argument. So why why not just uh, give into it? Uh, Bill Sherry, you 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 kind of uh, put forward a different kind of solution to this uh, in your column. Uh, you, you suggest that the president can surrender without making it look like he's surrendering. Yeah, but also just to talk about uh, Charlie's point, I think it's true. Democrats are—it's it's not a dollar figure question. Democrats are willing to spend a lot of money on border security. Uh, in general, as part of a broader comprehensive immigration reform solution that had pathways of citizenship for the undocumented, but they've never been for an end-to-end wall on the southern border made of concrete or steel slats. They're comfortable with 
fencing in certain places, they're comfortable with forest street patrol, they're comfortable with drones, other kinds of technology. They think there is an immorality and a, uh, a, a very negative message to our neighbors and to the South to say, here's an end-to-end wall that suggests we don't want any of you to come. Yes. They think there's inherent bigotry to that symbolism. That's where the dispute really lies. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there was 700 out. miles of, of border uh, that they were going to, to, to erect some fencing along. And it's worth noting also that in 2006, when this was proposed, Donald Trump called it a nothing wall. I mean, he, he, he did not think this was anything like what he's he's proposing now. So there's that. Right. He, well. he wants, he wants big, bold and, and no, no one gets through. Yeah. That, that, that's the solution he wants. What I was suggesting in my own column, the way he could climb down from, uh, this, uh, perch that he's on, that it's not winning for him, uh, politically with, without seeming like he is caving, although that is what he would be doing. If he says, as he is threatened, I'm going to call a national emergency and do it myself. Once you do that, there's no need to have a shutdown anymore. You're doing it yourself. You don't have to wait for Congress to do anything. You might as well let all the federal workers who have been laid off get their, get their paychecks again. Uh, now, calling a national emergency probably doesn't start wall construction right away. There'd be tons of legal challenges. There's a bigger constitutional question whether he can call a national emergency in this instance. There's also the more micro problem of eminent domain, the people who own private property on the border. Can you see their property for this purpose. Uh, but again, the question I think is, does his base think he is fighting? He can still do that by calling a national emergency and ending the shutdown and then probably picking a fight somewhere else to keep the storyline fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Charlie, appreciate the call and the, the comments there. Uh, let's go to Heather in Ferndale. Heather, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, good morning. Um, to your previous caller, $5 billion is just the down payment. And when, if we're going to talk about hypocrisy, hypocrisy, we might want to discuss how Trump and the enabling Republicans have exploded our deficit. But I also wanted to say why I call dark and very disturbing. And I so worry that our immigrant community today is going to think that we as Americans, that this is how we feel about them. And the demonizing of them was just so horrible. And I think that should be the dominant topic here because there's just something so wrong about that and so un-American about it if you want to pull out the Patriot card. Hmm. That was what stuck out to me. Heather, stick to my stomach. Yeah. Heather, I appreciate uh, the call and, and I really feel the depth of uh, emotion behind behind what you're saying there. Uh, Bill Scher, when we, when we think about the way in which the president demonized, and I think that's the right word, uh, I- immigrants uh, yesterday, uh, talk about the effectiveness of that with his base, and then talk about how sort of um, uh, dangerous, I guess, that is uh, as a message to, to people who are not part of the president's base. Well, I, I think it was critical to his election. And you know, remember, he did not, did not win a popular vote majority, but he certainly galvanized a, 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 a large minority of the country on those those fear-based appeals. Um, at the same time, when he said that the midterms were about uh, you know Kavanaugh and the caravan, 
that didn't magically save the House for the Republicans either. So there are limitations to how far that messaging is concerned. Now, I would note that Democrats, particularly in redder areas, they didn't engage Trump on immigration. Uh, they tried to talk about health care, uh, unfair tax policies favoring special interests, ending dysfunction in Washington, working across the aisle. Those were the main messages of the candidates that flipped districts in the House. So it's still a little complicated for Democrats to talk about the issue in the redder parts of the nation. But it's not saying that Trump has been, that Trump playing that card was not his saving grace in 2018, which is why he, has, he, he should be wondering, maybe uh, I, I've tried to play this card one too many times. So, uh, what did you make of the Democratic response to to the president from uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi? I, I thought it was a very wise choice to have Pelosi and Schumer uh, do it together. Uh, it, it shows uh, it, it symbolically uh, unity amongst Democrats that the leader of both uh, chambers, the Democratic leaders of both chambers, would be side by side. Uh, and you know, they had a pretty simple message, which is... Uh, open the government. I mean, uh, almost the problem with shutting down politics is no matter what your opinion is on the underlying issue, very few people believe that shutting down the government is the right way to go about it. And now and suddenly you're not talking about your preferred issue. You're talking about opening the government. Uh, and that's where, I mean, you know, Pelosi made her point about the, this being immoral. Uh, you know, they made other points about uh, immigration in general. But I think the overriding message of the Democrats was open the government first and then let's talk. And that's something that I think is going to carry a lot of residents. Okay. Bill Scher, contributing editor to Political Magazine and co-host of the BloggingHeads.tv show, the DMZ, recently wrote a column for Politico titled, Trump's Best Shutdown Move is to Fold. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Right up next, we're going to continue our conversation about the president's speech last night and about immigration. We're going to talk about the libertarian reaction to Donald Trump's immigration policy. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Tara in Detroit, Brett and Ypsilanti will get to you. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter to participate in the conversation. Stay with us and we will be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about President Donald Trump's speech from the Oval Office yesterday about the government shutdown and the wall that he says he has to get funding for in order to reopen the government. Uh, we're also talking about the broader issue here about immigration and the fight that we're having, the argument that we're having in this country over immigration, both legal immigration and illegal immigration, and about this idea of a border wall, this uh, concept that Donald Trump has that we can somehow wall off uh, our, our southern neighbor, our second largest, I believe, uh, trading partner on the on the globe, 
uh, and somehow that that will uh, corral our problems with illegal immigration. If you want to join the conversation uh, all hour, uh, the phone lines are open. Uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Tell us what you thought of the president's speech last night. Tell us what you think about the border wall concept. Tell us what you think about the approach of this administration to immigration. Is Donald Trump on the right track and we just need to get Democrats to go along? Or is he fundamentally changing things about this country and its history of welcoming people from all over the globe uh, by by pursuing these policies? You can always uh, also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. And as always, the number on the phones is 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. I also want to welcome a different voice into the conversation this morning, a familiar voice here on Detroit Today. Sheikha Dalmia is a senior analyst at the Reason Foundation. She joins us from time to time uh, to talk about uh, lots of different uh, issues, but but uh, we find ourselves talking about immigration an awful lot these days <laughs> because of the headlines. Sheikha, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Stephen, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, So uh, let's start with a recent column you wrote about uh, one member of our delegation here in the state of Michigan, Justin Amish, who is from the west side of the state. Uh, You say uh, to him, say you're not okay with the wall. (laughs) Talk about uh, what Representative Amish has said and why you have a problem with it. Um, so, you know, I regard uh, Justin Amish's or Amash, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but, you know, he is a fellow libertarian. Uh, and he, in my view, has been the strongest moral compass uh, in Congress um, since Trump came on. He has not yielded an inch to Trump. He has taken him on when he has said things that offend his uh, sensibilities of uh, limited government, pluralism, tolerance, um, fiscal responsibility. And uh, and he has taken on his own party and even his own uh, caucus, Freedom Caucus, which I often call the misnamed Freedom Caucus because there is nothing uh, remotely resembling freedom in some of its agenda post-Trump. But he has actually not shied, shied from taking even his own caucus on. And yet he uh, made a comment to a news organization last week saying, that he doesn't think uh, there is anything inherently wrong with the wall. He just thinks both sides are making far too big a deal of it. And that was in some ways a stunning statement because it just shows how much the GOP has uh, steered from where it was, uh, you know, in the early 80s when Ronald Reagan and Bush Sr. used to talk about the same issue of the wall and immigration. And if you, you know, there is plenty of flip-floppery to go around on immigration <laughs> all across the political divide, as you guys were discussing in the last segment, uh, you know, Democrats uh, Democrats were for the wall before they were against the wall. Trump himself uh, you know, during Romney's time, had called some of uh, Romney's harsh immigration talk as maniacal, and here we are today. So there is plenty of uh, switching around to go, uh, you know, go around. But Amash has, you know, um, Amash is to me, you know, sort of the litmus test over here for how much the conversation has shifted. Because if he can't hold his ground, then I really don't know who will. <laughs> and, and that idea of 
a libertarian. I mean, he, he self-identifies as a libertarian, supporting the idea of this kind of restriction on immigration, I think, is, is notable in philosophical terms. So let's sort of divorce the, the, the politics and the strategy of it. There, there's something very significant about uh, that, that conflict. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sh- exactly sure how much he supports a restrictionist point of view because everything he has said on immigration so far has been, uh, you know, pretty good. Uh, he himself is the son of Palestinian immigrants. And uh, so I, you know, so don't want to blame him for supporting a restrictionist point of view. But I think the symbolism of the wall is like a terrible symbolism for a libertarian, right? I mean, libertarians believe in freedom, in including the freedom of movement. And, uh, you know, even libertarians who uh, are, uh, you know, who say there is something to this whole idea of national sovereignty, that you're not a sovereign country till you can control your borders, even they will tell you that, well, a sovereign country can freely decide to open its doors to a whole lot of immigrants and with generous immigration policies. Uh, And a wall is counterproductive if that's what you want. And, uh, you know, the reason uh, what Amar said was troubling was that, you know, he speaks always in fundamentals. I mean, he doesn't go along with the false choices that both parties give you, wall or no wall. I mean, he stretches the conversation in, and he's done it on so many issues. And in this issue, I would have expected him to say, wall is not the answer. What we need are more legal avenues. And what we need are guest worker programs and work permits, which is what Reagan had called for to solve this problem of, uh, you know, unauthorized flows, which, by the way, are at, are, at its, are at their lowest ebb in a very, very long time. So in some ways, the wall is fighting a, the last war, and it's the wrong solution. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We get a lot of people waiting to jump in on the conversation. Before we get there, though, Chica, I want to ask uh, you whether you think we should have seen the president on television last night. This idea of using the Oval Office to address a very partisan issue. I, I, I can't think of, we were sitting in, in the, the newsroom here yesterday planning the show, trying to think of a parallel in history to, uh, to, to, to this, that the idea of a president using the Oval Office in this way, uh, did you think that was appropriate? Uh, no, I don't think it was appropriate. I mean, as you pointed out, uh, you know, Bush, uh, George W. Bush had an Oval Office speech after 9-11. I mean, this is the kind of level of emergency we are talking about. Uh, and uh, a Trump has manufactured a whole crisis that doesn't really exist except for in his uh, fevered imagination. Uh, uh, you know, if you uh, look at the numbers, like I said, um, border flows are at the lowest they've ever been. Border communities are not clamoring for any of this. Uh, if they were, they would be going for Republicans. Uh, but the Vox's Dara Lind actually had an excellent piece pointing out that uh, border communities within 325 miles of the border are overwhelmingly going Democratic right now. So it suggests that, you know, this whole idea of a crisis is all some is completely manufactured. And uh, uh, so 
so no, I mean, this was uh, an improper use of uh, his television time and it was lousy TV, I have to say. I mean, it was a boring speech. <laughs> yeah. Nothing happened. I was surprised that he didn't have more to say. I thought, hey, if you're going to do this, you're going to go into the Oval Office, get the networks to carry your speech, you better you better deliver. Uh, hey, look, let's just thank God for small mercies here, right? <laughs> I mean, I really didn't want to have to come on this show and talking about a, f- a national emergency, a that, emergency. Has, that he has declared based on completely manufactured, you know, ground. So, you know, I was a little bit relieved that he didn't try to break news, which would have been his natural tendency. I mean, I've got to think cooler heads prevailed in this case. Uh, but I don't think he's actually completely given up on that idea. He may yet do it because he's backed himself in a corner on this government shutdown and there is no out and he never does he doesn't like to give in he doesn't like to come across as a loser yeah so uh, uh, let's go back to the phones here we had a lot of folks uh, lined up uh, brett in ipsilani uh, what's on your mind yeah hi thanks for taking my call um so i just wanted to call in to talk about uh kind of what i see with this whole issue and i watched a little bit of Trump's clip and then turned it off like most of the other callers you had for obvious reasons. But I wanted to talk about the kind of framing of the issue. Uh, I'm a grad student at U of M and recently took a political psychology class. And what surprised me with studying that and studying the research was how immigrant fear, fear of immigrants, fear of others, uh, also racism uh, can activate voter bases. And the GOP has been doing that for decades. Um, and it's kind of like this elite discourse where they, like you, like your caller or speaker said, uh, manufacturing a crisis or manufacturing a threat, um, and that that threat has to be salient enough for them to activate their base to maintain their vote. Um, and I just wondered what um, you all thought about that, because when we look at like actual threat, um, the Canadian border has, mm. I think it was double or triple the amount of terrorists crossing into from the northern border. There's vast stretches of unsecured border in the north, um, yet that never gets talked about. And I wonder what role um, the fact that it's Canadians versus Latinx communities, um, brown, brown skin, like what role do you think that plays in? And does the GOP maybe, are they aware in, of that in some kind of, it's sad and it, it might be not the most uh, easy to swallow reality, but that they are aware, full full well aware that, you know, they're activating this kind of resentment, racial resentment within their base. Um, that's just what I was thinking about. Sure. This is all focused on southern border and a manufacturing right. a crisis. And we have a much bigger border uh, up north. And yeah. No question. And Brett, we, I, I really and I appreciate it. Like people don't talk about the skin color and the yeah. community and the culture difference. There. Yeah. No, I think that so. all really does matter. I'm, I'm glad you called. Uh, and injected that into the conversation, <clears throat> this idea that we're not talking about the northern border, which is much more porous uh, in physical terms than the southern border, and is much more problematic in some ways in terms of what comes across that border. We also don't talk about it in terms uh, that would uh, sort of presuppose what might happen if we erected a larger barrier along the southern border. It's not just people from Latin American countries who are trying to come to the United States that way. Uh, you know, people come from other places and try to get across those borders. They would just go to Canada. I think a lot of them would, or more of them might do that. And then there is, of course, the the, the racial angle, which I don't think is uh, is unimportant either. I think there is 
there is certainly from the Republican perspective, from the, 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 the Trump administration perspective, this is uh, a dog whistle about uh, the browning of America. The wall is a dog whistle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, to uh, be a little bit objective in this conversation, which is that, you know, uh, supporters of Trump would tell you the reason they are, they want a wall on the South and not with Canada is that they are not a large number of people trying to come in illegally into the country from the northern border as they are from the southern border, right? And so uh, the question would be if there were lots of white people trying to come into the country illegally, uh, would that still trigger this kind of hysteria? And I think the answer to that is you know, no, it probably won't. Uh, I think we would very quickly look for ways to create all kinds of legal avenues, uh, you know, for, you know, for non-brown-skinned people. Uh, and I think the reason is uh, also there is a cultural element to it, right? I mean, brown skin, even though, you know, I, <laughs> the vast majority of people who are trying to come in from the South are all Christians, right? I mean, and they tend to be Catholic. I mean, Mexicans are predominantly Catholic. Um, and yet, uh, you know, that doesn't buy them too many uh, points these days. And even though Catholics tend to be conservatives, right? I mean, and so when you eliminate all of those factors that don't you know, uh, uh, that eliminate the cultural concerns and they eliminate the political concerns. I mean, you really are kind of left with sort of, you know, poor brown-skinned people as sort of the issue over here. And I think uh, Trump has been completely a demagogue. He knows exactly what he's talking about. I mean, he called Mexicans rapists and criminals. I mean, that's how he got his campaign going. So uh, I think, uh, you know, he's kind of, we are kind of beyond even dog whistles over here, right? I mean, he's taken an issue that's a non-existent issue and blown it up because it appeals to people's cultural and racial anxieties uh, and keeps, uh, you know, keeps going with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I, I want to read a tweet that <laughs> that you saw earlier that uh, came into the show about this issue, and it was from somebody who says he is a legal Im immigrant on an H-1B visa, but yet he still faces uh, several hurdles to get a green card. Uh, currently, the wait time for this person, uh, according to this person, is about 150 years, and it's yes. a challenge for several thousand people in a similar situation. I should also, before we talk about it, uh, uh, I, I don't know whether this person is male or female. I'm presuming. It's a male, and it's an Indian from the name. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, when you think about the, the, the problems we have with legal legal immigration here uh, and and the ways in which this administration is making that worse, you put that together with this wall idea. I mean, that's, I think, how you get to this idea that they are trying to fundamentally change the culture of this country. This is not just about law and order, as they would say. This is about what America looks like. Yeah, I mean, let's just remember President Trump's comment about why can't we get more uh, immigrants from non whole countries he like said, Denmark. Right, I mean, right. like, you know, that's not a dog whistle. I think pretty, that's pretty much out there. Uh, but to your point of legal immigration, also remember that the last time we had a government shutdown uh, was because the Democrats actually couldn't give Trump what he was asking for in exchange for 25 
uh, you know, not just 25 billion for the wall, but he wanted to cut legal immigration by 40 percent. He wanted to cut family-based immigration by 40 percent uh, in exchange for uh, legalizing, you know, 700,000 dreamers. And that was just a bridge too far for Democrats. And that's when talks fell apart. But your, uh, you know, the listener who tweeted is exactly right. I mean, this administration, the assaults on the H-1B program uh, administratively that this administration has launched are, uh, I mean, really a thing to behold. I mean, here is uh, the Republican Conservative Party, which is against bureaucracy, which is against red tape. And uh, at every level of the H-1B program, they have made it more difficult to for people to stay on it. And most of the people happen to be Chinese and Indians. Uh, so, for instance, uh, it used to be pretty routine for somebody who had an H-1B to be able to renew that application uh, pretty quickly without having to show too much paperwork. They have now started uh, issuing what are called requests for evidence, which basically means every time you apply for a, a, a reapply for an H-1B, you are almost applying for a new one. It's not an old one. So the paperwork has increased dramatically. And at the end of it, it's not clear your uh, H-1B is going to be renewed. And for peop people, uh, Indians and Chinese who are on H-1Bs, this is sort of catastrophic because there used to be a, a, a point when, you know, your green card would come pretty quickly. And so if your H-1B wasn't renewed, you'd have your green card. Now, if they don't renew your H-1B in a timely fashion, you may have established lives in this country. You may have lived in this country for 20, 30 years, but you may still get thrown out with your children, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who know no other country. And so this president, I mean, you know, he said yesterday he's we proudly welcome a million immig illegal immigrants. Actually, that's not the case. This administration is not doing that. Every category of legal immigration is under assault by this president. OK, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about immigration and President Donald Trump, the border wall, the things that he wants to change about America. Uh, we're going to keep Sheikha Dalmia in studio with us. And we want to keep you with us on the phones. Tara in Detroit, Delphine in South Lyon, Daniel in Detroit, Teresa in Detroit. We'll get to you next. And if you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Sheikha Dalmia. She's a senior analyst for the Reason Foundation. We're talking about President Donald Trump's address from the Oval Office yesterday about the border wall, the shutdown, and immigration. We're talking more broadly about uh, immigration and the conversation or argument, I guess, that we're having in this country right now about uh the ways that Donald Trump wants to change immigration, the way he wants to change legal immigration as well as illegal immigration in this country. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tara in Detroit. Tara, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh -huh. um, I have two things. I have a thought and a question. So my thought is how... 
that performance last night was reeking of demagoguery, and it was literally, I feel, only meant to stoke hatred against immigrants. And I think the idea of us coming together to spend money on a wasteful wall that won't work is not only ludicrous, but are people forgetting that the president lost the popular vote and that most Americans probably wouldn't agree with this anyway. So what, aside from the fact that he lied about where the money would come from in the first place, and he is just forgot that he lied about it, I guess. I don't know. But my, And then my question is, how did he get away with that performance last night without mentioning the the thousands of families and millions of people affected by the government shutdown? Hmm. How does he proclaim that he is a um, savior of the working class? How does he get people's votes to are part of the working class without even actually pretending to care about them? That's my question. That's uh, a great question, uh, uh, Tara. I, I appreciate the call. The call. Uh, the, you know, the dimension of this that is about people's families and paychecks, I think, is one of the things that we're starting to hear a little more about. But but I, I, I do think it's a central issue here. No matter what you think about the size of government or the purpose of government, the people who have jobs in government are are working in legitimate uh, jobs and doing things that we've decided uh, that we need to do and to just sort of cut them off and say, well, because of this political issue, and here it is an expressly political issue, you don't get to work is, is uh, it's one of the, the real tragic dimensions of this, I think. Well, he said they adjust uh, and they all want the wall. Just to anyway. no paycheck. Yeah, yeah right. and they just, and they you know they all want the wall anyway. I mean, yeah, um, you know, I think that's the reason he went uh, and gave the speech because he understands the government shutdown is not going to help his poll numbers, which is the only thing he's really interested in. Uh, and as for his speech, you know, this is the same speech he has been giving since the time he was inaugurated. It is this dystopian, dark reality he wants to portray for America if it doesn't turn itself into a fortress. And fear-mongering is, uh, you know, a very integral part of it. I mean, if you go back and examine all his speeches— um, this idea that they are coming here to kill you is central to all of them, right? I mean, so this was in that sense par for the course. This is what he does. But I have to say one thing, though, which is that, you know, he is doubling down and fighting for his wall, you know, which is all terrible uh, from so many different points of view. But where are the Democrats talking about legalization of the 11 million people who are in this country uh, right and who have built lives over here. Forget the 11 million. They are not even talking about legalizing dreamers anymore. Uh, so I think in that sense, he seems he has driven them. He has driven that aspect of the conversation into you know a closet. Nobody wants to come out and now uh, own the talk of legalization, which is very very unfortunate effect of this presidency. And I really blame the Democrats for it. Not. You know, he's hanging on to his guns. Why are they not hanging on to theirs? Why aren't they, they fighting a little harder? Sure. Uh, on, we've got a couple of social media comments here. Thomas on Twitter says, it was a hard decision between watching 45 or the Red Wings, but <laughs> the Red Wings won the coin toss. Uh, so Wise he did decision. not watch the president. Brian on Facebook says, if I wanted to hear someone lie to me for 10 minutes, I'd go watch Ancient Aliens. So I'm not sure he watched uh, the speech either. <laughs> Thanks to both of you for those uh, for those comments. Let's go to uh, Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to Detroit today. 
Uh, thanks for having me on. Sure. You know, um, I've been listening to the back and forth. I, I follow the media every day, and I'm questioning why aren't we asking the people on the front line? Why aren't we asking the border state's mayors? Why aren't we asking Corpus Christi mayor, uh, McAllen, Texas mayor? Who's talked to the border patrol, the head of the border patrol? What's his opinion? Nobody's, I haven't seen a peep from any of those people. Those are the people who should decide on what we have. And let me say that I didn't vote for Trump, but I do agree on the way that he's handling China, and I do agree on the way that he's handling uh, North Korea. I don't particularly like his tax reform, but he got something done. You know, I don't like his, his, his position on the environment, so I could never vote for him because of that. But let's interview the people on the front line and see what they want. That's a great. That's a great point, Daniel. I mean, there there is, of course, in this country, this this uh, federalism issue. I guess is what you'd call it with regard to immigration. That that says that you know the federal government actually has, per the Constitution, far more sway over it than the states themselves do. But. I, I I think you're absolutely right that this, the the local officials who, who who see this problem up close should be more a part of the conversation uh, than than they are. Uh, you know, he actually Donald Trump repeatedly claims that uh, it is not him; it's uh, border patrol agencies that want the wall. Uh, I think that's um, I think their opinions there are likely mixed. Uh, I think they, they, you know, what Border Patrol wants is operational control of the border. Uh, There are many ways to achieve that operational control. John Kelly, by the way, before he became chief of staff, was a big uh, proponent of a guest worker program uh, because that channels all the people who don't, you know, who just want to come here and work into legal channels, leaving the people who mean, uh, you know, who mean us harm coming in illegally. And it becomes much, much easier to patrol the border and get those people. And you, you know, you may need some fencing in some parts of the border for that. I mean, I'm not advocating it, but it at least is a coherent idea. You may need some fencing in that part of the you know, border to drive illegal flows, which are not good for our country, you know, through certain points that can then be monitored more intensely. But, um, you know, I don't think Border Patrol uniformly wants the kind of barrier that, uh, you know, that he's proposing. Okay. Sheikha Dalmia, uh, senior analyst at the Reason Foundation. It is always really great to have you here and talk about these issues before uh, before we end the show. What do you think is the end game here? Do you do you think we end up with a deal that uh, funds part of this wall that Democrats cave on that, or do you think the president ends up walking away with a pretty big political loss in addition to to all the other things at stake? You know, I I really don't know. Uh, I I think it would be a mistake to think that he is just going to swallow a loss. I think his instinct under such situations is to up the ante, and I would not be altogether surprised 
if he tries to declare a national emergency and uh, appropriate military funds, unobligated military funds for the border wall. I mean, it's not going to accomplish much, but it'll keep the issue alive for his base and not make him look like an outright loser. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think this is over yet. Yeah. And that would uh, unleash, I would think, a very fierce round of of litigation. Very fierce would, round, uh, and I think it'll be terrible for Republicans in the long run uh, because of uh, the precedent it sets. Okay. Shinka Dalmia, always great to have you here. Thanks Thank for you joining. for having me. It's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.